Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. It was incredible to hear of just the movement that the bike ride um, was and how much money was raised that year. But more importantly, I was just struck by the community in the sense that everybody seemed to rally around Pelotonia. You're part of a much bigger movement. Welcome to One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. We're a passionate community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research. I'm your host and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an unstoppable community, and it's through research we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners for making all of this possible. The American Electric Power Foundation, Bath and Body Works, Huntington, Peggy and Richard Santulli, and Victoria's Secret. When you're done experiencing this episode, we'd be honored if you would leave a review and share it with family and friends. This really helps extend the impact of this series and helps further our one goal. Thank you. And now, on to the episode. We are super excited to be back on the One Goal podcast today with Dr. Gaddy Mays. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, I'm super excited to talk today about the impact that Pelotonia dollars are having, and particularly at the Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology, which has been, uh, we're coming up on three years, uh, three-year anniversary of the Institute, and something that our community has just rallied around, gotten so excited by, uh, led by Dr. Zihai Lee, who we've had on the podcast, and is a really, really special individual. So super excited to have you on. But let's start sort of at the beginning and a little bit of the origin story of you. You know, where did you grow up and how did you make your way into oncology and research and and all that? Sure. So I grew up in southern New Jersey, um, right outside of Philadelphia. I think if you asked me when I was leaving South Jersey um, for college, if I would ever end up as an oncologist or ever end up in Columbus, the answer would have been no to both. (laughs) What did you what did you go to college thinking you wanted to do? So I thought for sure, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and so I went to Trinity College up in Hartford, Connecticut, okay. um, and was pre-med there, but primarily was very interested in surgery. Okay. Um, my father was a plastic surgeon. And so I think for me, that was definitely a, a career shaping um, exposure, just seeing how uh, the difference that he made for many of his patients, specifically with breast cancer. Okay. And so... When I went to Trinity, I thought for sure I wanted to be a surgeon. And while I was there, I became really interested in more public health level measures and worked a lot with microbiology and looked at epidemiology. And through that interest, it actually took me away from medical school into public health school. Interesting. Um, Was there some was there some event that happened that sort of transitioned your interests? I think it was just the culmination of events. I I 
you know, was very interested in medicine. But I think when I started looking at, at just kind of the pre-med track and everything, um, I completed it. Um, and when I applied for medical school, my first year actually, or my last year in college, I actually didn't get in. Okay. And so um, I kind of started, you know, having a, obviously a, a reflection upon what my interests were and said, well, medicine is very interesting, but very interested from the public health perspective. And so um, through that interest, I actually started looking more at public health schools and um, was lucky enough to get into the Rollins School of Public Health down at Emory University. Okay. Down in Atlanta. Mm -hmm, in Atlanta. And it was a fantastic experience. Um, I worked a lot there. I actually worked at the CDC for a year doing an internship there. Oh, interesting. Um, and it was actually right back. It was close to when the anthrax um, yes. <laughs> issues were arising. And so- did a lot with threat uh, agent detection and response there um, and learned more about epidemiology. And through that, that was when I started becoming a little bit more aware of some of the exposures in terms of oncology um, and, and development of cancers um, many years later. And while I was down there, it was also a very positive experience because I met my now husband. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was a, um, it was definitely, I think, meant to be that I needed to go and, and do public health first. Yeah. And then during my second year of public health school, that was actually, I was in Grady Hospital as part of one of the research projects that I was involved in and in looking at physical activity and looking at cancer reduction and looking at medication adherence. So, so physical, how physical activity impacts or mm -hmm. might reduce exactly cancer. exactly and, and how just overall health so it was physical activity for reduction in cancer but physical activity in terms of improving general health measures in terms of reducing diabetes reducing hypertension um, and during my time at Grady I had a lot of interactions with patients and that was really what I think realigned me with going back to medical school and so um, with that experience, I decided that I would apply again. Um, and this time was lucky enough to get into my top choice, which was Georgetown Medical School in okay. DC. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and that was always where I had wanted to go. Um, and so it was, again, I think it was a, um, a very positive thing that I ended up looking into public health first. And then during my time at Georgetown, that background in public health and epidemiology, I think really helped me um, find my way towards oncology. Um, you know, it's funny, it, as I mentioned, I think if you had asked me, you know, when I was starting college, would I ever do this? I would have said no. Yeah. But I think all along it was probably what I was meant to do. Yeah. Um, you know, following the interests and the passions that I had. Do you ever sort of in your family or, or f sort of friend network experience cancer mm -hmm. sort of at close proximity? I, I have. So, um, and I think that was probably part of the reason why too, even when I started medical school, I didn't really think I wanted to be an oncologist. Um, so my, both of my grandfathers actually passed away from cancer. Okay. Um, my, um, one, uh, my dad's father passed away from um, hepatocellular carcinoma um, that he is had. Is that liver cancer? It's a liver yeah. cancer. And nowadays, you know, hepatocellular carcinoma still carries um, a lot of mortality and a lot of patients still pass away from it. Um, but between liver transplants or now immunotherapy, there's a lot more hope. But I, you know, I remember my, my grandfather as I was about seven or eight, I remember him passing away from it. Yeah. Um, my other grandfather passed from leukemia, which I don't really remember because I was younger. Okay. So you end up at Georgetown, your, your husband at the time goes to DC with you? He does. Yep. Mm -hmm. What does he do? So he's actually a cancer prevention researcher. 
Well, that's um, convenient. So, yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a, he's a, his name's Dr. Darren Mays, and he's here at Ohio State as well. Okay. Um, we, I joke he's trying to put me out of a job, which, <laughs> which I would be very <laughs> be okay. okay with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our interests kind of both converged in, in oncology yeah. at the, the same time. So, yeah. so uh, after Georgetown, is that when you ended up at the National Institute of Health? Mm-hmm. So um, kind of before I ended up at, at the National Cancer uh, Institute, when I was a third-year medical student at Georgetown, um, that's when we started to do our clinical rotations. And to me, this was, I think, really, if you think back, that it was there one event, you know, one experience that really made you realize what you were meant to do. I think it really was was during third year of medical school. For our internal medicine clerkship, I very much wanted to do cardiology. I thought, you know, during the first couple of years of, of medical school, I went from being maybe interested in surgery to infectious disease to cardiology. And I petitioned the clerkship directors and I said, you know, I really want to go to oncology or um, uh, cardiology. And they said, no problem. We'll put you in with this doctor. And then the assignments came out and they put me in an oncologist's office. That must have been disappointing. (laughs) And I was so angry. Yeah. I just, I thought, you know, oncology, I don't want to do this. I just felt like oncology was sad and it was not what I saw my future as. And I remember I, I went to the oncologist's office and by the end of the first day, I came home and told my husband, I said, you know, maybe oncology is not so bad. And by the end of the first week, I actually started thinking that oncology was maybe what I wanted to do. That's a quick turnaround. It it was incredible. I mean, I think it was once I actually saw what oncology was about, I think it just proved a lot of the myths um, and a lot of the things that I had heard about it and and even my personal experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw very quickly that oncology is, it, while there are sad times, I think oncology is full of hope and full of promise and and full of, of you know, a very special patient population, one that we don't see in any other clinical specialty. After Georgetown, you went to the National mm-hmm. Cancer Institute, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? And I guess for sort of the lay person listening to this, Describe the role of the National Cancer Institute, sure, sort of, you sure. know. So the National Cancer Institute is one of the institutes at the National Institutes of Health. Um, and so the National Cancer Institute, or NCI, is actually America's largest research cancer hospital. Um, most people think that it's purely a research institution, but we actually have a very large clinical program. For oncology fellowship, we actually have one of the largest oncology fellowships in the entire country is oh, at wow. the NCI. Um, and it really was incredible because as a fellow there, I not only had the clinical opportunities to learn how to take care of oncology patients, but I also received training in how to design clinical trials. You know, this is the place that you go if you want to learn how to do clinical yeah. trials because this is what they do. And many of the trials that we do there um, as fellows, many of the trials that we're involved in are early phase clinical trials. And so they're the trials that we're taking agents that were newly designed in the lab and we're bringing them into patients for the first time. So it's a lot of first in human clinical trials, a lot of phase one clinical trials. And, you know, to me, that's the really exciting part of research. And that's the part, too, as a physician, you know, I feel like you have to be a really good clinician and a really good physician, a good diagnostician in order to do phase ones. 
because these are agents. We don't know how patients are going to react to these agents, to these drugs. Yeah. We don't know what the side effects are. We can't look at the FDA package insert and say, oh, well, we know that, right. <laughs> you know, low white count's going to happen yeah. in this percentage of patients. Um, you really have to be extremely aware of everything the patients are telling you about how they're feeling. You have to be very cognizant about their labs. And yeah. so it's very exciting because with those agents, even though there are a lot of times the trials are not necessarily blockbusters in terms of they're not practice changing when they're that early. Those phase one clinical trials, I think, are what give a lot of us hope mm -hmm. when it comes to cancer research. So where along the path did sort of a focus on breast cancer yeah. sort of pop up and for you? So I, I think the, the interest in breast cancer, I think, probably goes back before I ever thought I wanted to do oncology, um, just given with what my dad did as his plastic surgeon. He did a lot of work with mastectomy and reconstruction. Okay. And I just was always, I always thought it was very striking how special the breast cancer population was. Breast cancer occurs in one out of eight women. And so there's a good chance that most people know somebody who's had breast cancer. Yep. And so I think that's really where the seed started. And again, it was during that oncology experience as a third year med student that I really started to gravitate more towards breast oncology. And when I was at the NCI for fellowship, the other thing that really drew me to breast cancer was I think there's a lot of hope for the use of immunotherapy in breast cancer. We see that there are certain types of breast cancer where immunotherapy works, and there are certain types where it doesn't. And we're starting to understand what is it that sets apart those cancers that respond versus those that don't. That's so interesting. So how did you end up at Ohio State and ultimately at the Palatine Institute for Immuno-Oncology? And sort of you mentioned early on, you know, from Southern New Jersey, my wife is from Southern New Jersey, and she always says she never expected to end up in Ohio. <laughs> Um, you know, she's been here for 15 years now and, um, but how did, how did that all come about? And, you sure. know, as you started to learn about what was going on in Columbus, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. excited you? You know, when I was at NCI, I, I never thought I was going to leave NCI. Um, it's a I, dream job. It, right? it was, it was a dream job. I had incredible mentors. Um, I worked with Dr. James Gully and Dr. Jeff Schloem um, and Dr. Stan Lipkowitz, who just were phenomenal mentors and sponsors and leaders in immuno-oncology. Um, and I, I never really thought I would leave, um, you know. And Zihai came to me right after the Pelotonia Institute was formed. Um, so this was, I think it was June or July of 2019. And did you have a previous relationship with him? No. So he he had contacted a colleague of mine who was here um, and they kind of both reached out to me and said, hey, we've got this new Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology and we're really looking for a breast immuno-oncologist. Do you want to come talk? And, uh, you know, I kind of went back and forth, but I figured, well, what's what's the harm in talking? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, my husband, who does cancer prevention research, um, was approached by Peter Shields here. Yep. Um, to do tobacco research okay. in his group. And so it kind of worked out that both of us had great opportunities um, to come here. They really just centered around. They, they found like, the, they they're did. like, oh, there's a, there's a family. We got to go get this family. Exactly. And so, and, and for both of us, you know, I think it was independently, they were both great opportunities. And then I think obviously as a family, I think it was a great opportunity. Yeah. I came for my first interview um, in September of 2019 and it was right after Pelotonia. Mm -hmm. 
And it was incredible to hear of just the movement that the bike ride um, was and how much money was raised that year. But more importantly, I was just very, I was struck by the community in the sense that everybody seemed to rally around Pelotonia. Yeah. And, you know, as uh, my husband's been a long-term Ohio State fan, and so I've known for a long time oh boy. that uh, that people in Ohio are very proud of Ohio they State. Take, they take Ohio State <laughs> football very seriously. So, um, and so, you know, kind of in having that background, I guess I wasn't super surprised with just how, how supportive everybody was of Pelotonia. Yeah. And again, I think that that was definitely one of the drawing points to, yeah. to, for me to come. What's it? I mean, that's something that we hear a lot, which is um, researchers, doctors come here and they're surprised in a really good way Mm -hmm. that the community sort of just cares at this like really foundational grassroots level. How does that influence sort of your work day to day, just knowing that? You go to the grocery store and you see someone wearing a Pelotonia shirt and like sort of the connection back to your work is really strong. It it absolutely is. And and I think it, you know, it really does instill a sense of pride, um, you know, that what we do at Pelotonia and at Ohio State is much more than our individual work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're very much our ripple effects into the community. And I think when you have that support when you, you know, go and you see the Pelotonia magnet on the cars, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, when you Yard see the, yeah, and, exactly. I mean, you're, you're part of a much bigger movement, you yeah. know, and, and again, I think it, as a researcher, it definitely, it pushes me. It makes me think, okay, how can we, how can we get the name out there more? How can we do more with Pelotonia? How can mm-hmm. we do more for Ohio State? But more importantly, at the root of all that, it's how can we do more for our patients? Patients, Um, You know, I've been very surprised. Patients will come to us at the Stephanie Spielman Breast Cancer from West Virginia, from Mm -hmm. Kentucky. I mean, they travel from all over to come see us there. And again, I think it really is representative of the the recognition and just, you know, the reputation of Ohio State and Pelotonia nationally. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the things you're working on from a research standpoint um, at the, you know, sometimes I always say like, okay, explain it like you're explaining it to an eighth grader Uh, or maybe explain it like you're explaining it to your young kids. Yeah. So much of what I'm interested in for breast cancer is again, how to get those good immune cells into the tumor. So generally the immune system is really good at identifying bad cells and getting rid of them. We see that all the time with infectious diseases. You know, somebody has the flu. Well, their immune system can recognize it and get rid of it. Um, When you have a vaccine, that's even better because the immune system's been taught how to recognize Mm -hmm. these bad cells and get rid of it. But cancer cells are tricky because they know that the immune cells are going to recognize them and get rid of them. And so the immune cells put up a bunch of different kind of displays, a bunch of different walls or onion peels to keep those immune cells out. Okay. And so it makes the immune cells sleepy. It makes them so that they're not active. And, and eventually these immune cells just ignore these bad cells. And that's when they grow and that's when they become cancer cells. And so much of what I'm interested in is how, do, how is it that we can reawake or reinvigorate those immune cells? How can we get those immune cells to go back to do what they should have been doing? Mm -hmm. Instead Um, of sleeping on the job. Exactly. Instead of sleeping on the job. Um, And so, you know, much of what we do in oncology, I think we've learned which tumors like melanoma and lung cancer. 
that it's easy to just remove one of those layers and then the immune cells go back to doing what they're doing. And those are the tumors that respond really well to immunotherapy. But breast cancer is a little more complicated. You know, when you think of the tumor microenvironment, it's not just one layer of defense, it's multiple. And so my specific interest is looking at how is it that we can combine agents, whether it's standard therapies like radiation or chemotherapy, mm-hmm. how do we combine those agents with immunotherapy to peel back multiple layers at one time yeah. so that those immune cells can wake up and get back to work? Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Pelotonia. I know mm-hmm. you're signed up as a challenger and mm-hmm. you have some goals. Um I think some uh, some running goals and mm-hmm. also some bench pressing goals. Yes. Uh, what are those and how did you come up with them? <laughs> sure. So, um, uh, so I love to run on the weekends. I usually run about three to five miles on Saturday and Sunday. I'm um, like a one mile max kind of person. <laughs> so it, for me, it's my thinking time. That's often where, especially for patients, if I have challenging clinical scenarios, I actually think about it when I run because that's when I think the best. So (laughs) my uh, my running goal for Pelotonia is from the beginning of May until the beginning of August, I plan to run 100 miles. Um, And so I think I actually just passed mile 33 this weekend. Nice. So we're getting there. Yeah, that's right on pace, (laughs) right? right? Exactly, exactly. Um, They're not fast miles, but, you know, it's uh, in the end, (laughs) it's it's the distance, right? That's right. um, It's the journey. It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey. Um, So uh, working towards my way with that. And uh, my oldest son is funny. He's actually now decided to be one of my trainers. Okay. So now he's riding his bike alongside oh, nice. of me. So we've had to <laughs> increase the pace. motivation, yeah. <laughs> increase the pace a little bit. <laughs> um, so, but it's 100 miles. And then um, to bench press 90 pounds for 10 reps times three times. What's it like for you as as a mom to see your child involve themselves in this, right? Just even a little bit, just being on your training and and sort of that little bit of support. So I I think it's huge. I mean, I think, again, it goes back to really that community support. You know, my son, because both of his parents are here at Ohio State Mm -hmm. and and in Pelotonia, um, you know, we, I think he's got quite a bit of Pelotonia swag. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not allowed not to. Um, but I think, though, he understands, too, the importance of research and specifically with advancing oncology. Yeah. Um, and so he sees what we do and he sees that it's for the good of, of improving patients' health and improving lives. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's been great this year. You know, I was happy when this weekend he was like, I'll come out and ride right. with you yeah. and I'll keep you. He's like, I'll keep you fast. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Because last question, sort of on, on the world of cancer research What's really exciting to you about the next, you know, three, five, ten years sure. that you see just yeah. coming down the pipeline, and and like what what brings you like that energy? So I've I've been out of medical school now. I graduated in two thousand eleven, and so that's an important year in in immuno oncology because that's the year that ipilimumab was approved. Ipilimumab it was the first approved immunotherapy agent, immune checkpoint inhibitor okay. for cancer. It was approved in melanoma, I think it was in November of 2011. So that's like a just crucible moment it, in It in was. The field. It was in a lot of people in, in a immuno-oncology say that that was really the onset of the age of immuno-oncology. Okay. That was the first formal approval. And, you know, when I think back to when I was in medical school, we never even heard about immune checkpoint inhibitors. 
We didn't yeah. learn about immunotherapy because it wasn't approved. And when I think back just in that time of how many agents have been approved, I think right now there's eight different immune checkpoint inhibitors across different tumor types, more than I think it's now diff 20 different tumors in several different indications. When I think of that progress in just a little bit over a decade, that's to me the part that makes it so exciting. Yeah. You know, is you think of the impact of cancer research and just what 10 years can do. And so that's the thing that keeps me going, that, that makes me really excited for what the next decade has. What would you share sort of with our listeners? Um, I imagine, you know, the dinner table talk at your house is, is uh, sometimes cancer focused. And, <laughs> but like when you think back to your public health knowledge base and um, what are things people should think about and can do in their everyday life that yeah. sort of might improve their chances of not sort of getting cancer and things like that? Sure. So I, I think, you know, and obviously there are specific behaviors that we know increase the risk of cancer. But before I ever discuss those with my patients, I also always discuss that the majority of cancers are things that we don't, we don't know why patients develop the cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I never want a patient to feel like they did something, they did something. <laughs> yeah. to, 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 you know, deserve that cancer. Yeah. Um, that's never the case. Um, but there are certain behaviors, you know, we do know that um, tobacco use obviously mm -hmm. increases multiple types of cancer. Um, and it's not just cigarette use. Um, there's, you know, e-cigarettes obviously are yeah, becoming... Sure. Um, hot now. And, and I think, you know, while there, those studies are kind of the long-term effects are still to be determined, there are concerns about some of the carcinogens that are in those e-cigarettes. Mm -hmm. um, alcohol use is, an, is actually a very large contributor to cancer development. Um, and so making sure, you know, limit alcohol use, avoid tobacco use, um, exercise actually really improves patients' yeah. outcomes and, and does decrease certain types of cancers, for example, breast cancer. So, okay. you know, healthy habits, I think, are always important with it. it. But I think kind of the main thing that at least really has been reinforced for me during COVID, the number one thing patients can do is really stay up to date on their cancer screenings. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've been really surprised with obviously COVID um, really impacted mammograms. Yeah. And we've had a lot more patients present to us at the Stephanie Spielman with more advanced cancers than perhaps they would have if the cancer was caught on a routine screening mammogram. Um, so I think, you know, that's really the number one thing is patients can stay up to date on their yeah. cancer screenings, try to limit some of those behaviors. But obviously, too, if there's something of concern, I always tell patients, tell your doctor. Tell your doctor, yeah. You know? <laughs> and the James has the, the Diagnostic Center Absolutely. resource, which is amazing. And, mm -hmm. and we're actually upcoming launching a campaign sort of in support of going, oh, that's going to get your screenings. Yeah. You know, because getting your screenings on time and those early screenings could save, mm -hmm. you know, save you a lot. So thank you for, for joining us today. It's always we, we get to hear a lot of stories from survivors and caregivers and writers and, and a lot of your colleagues at Ohio State on the podcast, but it's always so fun to hear about the impact and the work mm -hmm. that all this money, our community is working hard to raise, but mm -hmm. to, to see it in action is always, always amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This has been One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. I'm your host, cancer survivor and president of Palatania, Joe Apgar. Interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team, Gabby Blauert, John Tolbert, and Alita Smith. One Goal is carefully crafted, produced, and mastered at the studios of Wessler Media. 
Special thank you to all of our guests for being so willing to share their inspiring journeys for this podcast. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe so you can listen to previous episodes and receive notifications about future ones. If you want to learn more about the Pelotonia community and how you can make an impact on cancer research, see the link in the show notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.